Welcome to Leading Age Workforce Innovators, a Leading Age podcast. This conversation is part of a series by the Leading Age Center for Workforce Solutions that examines promising practices and innovations to meet workforce challenges. I'm Gene Mitchell, le- editor of Leading Age Magazine, and today I'm speaking with Jim Lay, Kat Shilton, and Diana Grover. Jim is Executive Director at the Twin Towers Senior Living Community in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Kat is the Director of Marketing and Hospitality. Diana is Director of Compliance, Quality, and Safety for Life Enriching Communities based in Loveland, Ohio. We're recording this on October 30th, 2017 in New Orleans at the Leading Age Annual Meeting. Our guests are here to present an education session called Building a Healthy Work Environment, Aligning Behavior with Culture. Hello, Jim, Kat, and Dan- Diana. Jane, good morning. Hello. Hi. Uh, Jim, before we get started, I wonder if you could give us a, a little profile of Twin Towers. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, Twin Towers was founded in 1899, and we, in fact, have been operating on the same site since 1908. We are uh, a community of 400 residents, a full uh, continuing care retirement community, and uh, continue to grow into what we're now calling our second century of our development. Great. Let's start by talking about culture, which seems to have many different definitions. How do you define culture at Twin Towers, and why did you focus on it as a key development strategy? There are so many ways that people look at culture. Culture is, to some, a set of principles, others a set of aspirational values, when in fact culture is defined every day by the behaviors of those within the organization, especially those in the leadership roles. We embrace that reality. It's really important to recognize that we, we concentrate every day on the fact that our actions define us, not our words. How we treat and support people on our team is how they'll treat and support our residents and how they'll treat and support the folks they work with. Uh, You asked why did we focus on culture as a key development strategy. Uh, We look at it as a strategy recognizing that within our organization and within most organizations lies the credentials, the, the technical skills, and the talent to be exceptional, except that What's missing is the environment in which those skills and that talent can be allowed to be unleashed and to make the impact that they could. It's, it's as if uh, we constrain those who bring so much to the table. For us, that missing ingredient is to allow that talent to emerge and to separate our organization from those that don't choose to let their people reach their full potential and as a result cause the organization to reach its full potential as well. Great. I understand that the Twin Towers you encountered years ago is different than the one that exists today. I wonder if you could paint a picture for us of the situation there when you got started and contrast it with today's community. Absolutely. Um, This is Kat, and I have been with the organization for 17 years, so I'm considered the historian of this group because I lived it. I worked through the tenure of four different executive directors in two years. It was a turbulent time, to say the least. There was an overall disengagement of the associate, and I would say at all levels. Associates did not trust their leaders. And I was a member of the leadership team at Twin Towers, and I think there existed a feeling of reluctance to make decisions without some sort of permission from senior leadership. Uh, We feared the consequences of decisions, and I don't think that we fully understood the decision criteria so we could align with targets. We didn't know how to create an autonomous work environment for ourselves or others. 
So we sort of just worked defensively. We had high levels of injuries. We had legal actions related to care concerns. And our overall organizational performance was continuing on a steady decline. I'd characterize to uncomfortable levels. So I was informed that a board member um, with no background or experience in our industry approached the senior leadership about the again open executive director position. And my response was, he can't go back to the board if this doesn't work out. And I was really thinking when. And that was me, for those of you who may be wondering. <laughs> I mean, Jim joined us at a time when residents and associates were pleading, fix it. And I quote, fix it. Yeah, and so contrast that to today, just in the past few years since we've been working on this. And in that time, the Service Employees International Union renounced their representation of our employees. The culture had changed so much that they literally walked away and said, we have no role here. That's really rare. That's, that's huge. Um, those penalties and scrutiny that Kat mentioned for our injury rates, that went away. We took on the challenge from OSHA when they were unhappy with us, and we did a turnaround and now have them holding us up as a role model for others in our industry. Not to mention 95% of our residents would now recommend a friend to live at Twin Towers, and 95% of our employees, we call them associates, would also recommend Twin Towers as a great place to work. So that's a huge difference from the picture that Kat has painted. A large contrast. Well, why don't you tell us how you got started? What were the key choices you made at the beginning that set the tone for your work? Sure. There, there were three real key basic beliefs that we chose that would guide our work and, and as a result, align our efforts. Uh, the phrase that has kind of become popular for us is that we were going to bring a new order of things to Twin Towers, asking people to be different. Uh, there were three essential beliefs. I'll turn it over to my colleagues here to share what those were. Yeah, so the first one was really to emphasize listening and learning. We could not just come in there pretending that we had all the answers and we were going to fix it as people were begging. We did not come to it with that. Um, that mindset. We really wanted to emphasize listening to people about what they were feeling and build the personal relationships that it would take to move anything different forward. We had to build the trust, we had to get their engagement, we had to listen to those voices, make sure they were heard, and then act upon them what they told us. Yeah, there was not going to be any hero in this situation. Right. Um, also, the second thing we did was uh, we really wanted to uh, Blame the culture, not the people in it. If you've ever heard the, the, the saying, don't blame the patient, blame the disease, I mean, that's what we adopted. We wanted to drive the fear out of the organization so individuals could make decisions. So central to our approach was the acceptance of the fact that the capabilities required to succeed already existed at the organization. So individuals like myself, how, how, were, how was I given the opportunity to succeed? Um, so we looked at how could we provide that environment in which individuals could flourish. And so we didn't bring in some other team to fix it. We sat down as a leadership team and said, how are we going to succeed together? And we chose to lead as servants. Very simple mindset. You know, frankly, for us, this is the only way. Uh, we are there 
with the recognition every day that those who report to us are our customers. It is our job to serve and support them, not the tra tradition of a hierarchical organization chart that says it's a top-down style. In fact, we work from the bottom up, so I'm the only one in the organization as the executive director who has no one serving me. My job is to serve every ladder, uh, every rung on the ladder at all times. And as someone, as Kat mentioned, who came from the board, who came from outside the industry, it's the only skill I had. I'm not a healthcare person, I'm not a, an industry person, but instead I'm a person who understands that making it possible for others is the formula that makes an organization strong. After you established the foundational beliefs that you just described, what were the key actions you took? Why were these so important? You know, it starts with leadership. I think that if there's any thread that needs to come out of here today in a, in a really, really meaningful fashion, it starts with leadership selection. Self-awareness is everything. People in leadership roles need to understand how they not just communicate with others, but how they reflect to others, how, they, how others experience them. And so selecting people who are optimistic, who bring uh, a recognition of challenge, who understand that they have to take risks and show the courage, and they can be resilient in response to things that don't work. Those are the real leaders in an organization, not those with power in more traditional settings. And, but then once you have those leaders chosen and in place, it's really important that you have a plan. We had to still be systematic about how we approached this. For those who uh, might get a little uncomfortable talking about culture change, you know, it feels a little squishy. We also had to have a plan behind it to give people something to hold on to. You, you mentioned earlier in the introduction, I do compliance. Compliance is a very structured, you know, very, um, you know, laid out kind of system for what you do and you don't do. And I think it was important to bring some structure to this so that people weren't just guessing at what to do with this new culture thing. So we, we did that. We spent a lot of time with the team with some really specific details about what we meant, what we were looking for, what those behaviors were, and how it was going to look going forward. And third, we had to keep a long-term perspective. Um, it's easy to fool yourself with quick solutions or you try to impress your board with some instant improved results on the next quarterly report. It's, it's not a fully baked pie in five minutes. You have to really commit to the longer term vision to attain the success and sustainability that you want in your workplace. Another key point was that we really had to believe the data that we were getting. So as we embarked on these conversations and did our best to listen, um, we had to recognize that feedback really is a gift and we had to treat it as such and believe what we were being told. Not There's a tendency a lot of times for people to discount what they hear because it is, it can be rough to hear. And so we actively chose, it was an action that we were going to believe what we were told and move forward from there. And to draw back on what Diana had, had mentioned earlier about that systematic action, we developed a very clear operating model, what we call our five pillars. And those five pillars are progressive. Uh, they begin with the focus on the associate experience that drives the experience of the residents. How our associates are treated is how they will treat residents. So what we want to see our residents experiencing is what we need to give our associates. 
we need to have quality and safety at the center. And those three together will generate the, final the outcomes in the final two pillars, the growth of the organization and the financial achievement that we all need to sustain those resources and continue to grow and, and adapt in this industry. And finally, I mean, we had to live out these expectations. As leaders, whether you realize it or not, you're being observed in your one-on-one, -on -one, in-person interactions, or just in the practice and the decisions that you make. So there's an impact to your behavior that goes home with your associates, that impacts their families in ways that you might not have considered. So you must, as a leader, model in everything you do. And you can't, and I, and I use this word, it's overused, but I, I use it in its purest form. You have to empower your workforce. And in doing that, you can't set up processes that they have to obtain permission at every turn. The two are in conflict with one another. So our definition of accountability was a focus inward. We don't hold others accountable. We hold ourselves accountable to be that model and be what we expect, and then people will follow. Why don't you talk about the successes you've had and perhaps some of the main challenges that you faced in doing this? I would say that our most meaningful success is the, uh, the environment that's emerged. Uh, people are freed up to grow, to use their talents, to thrive as individuals. And that shows, it shows on their faces, it shows in their attitude, it shows in the experience they create for others. We're a welcoming community as a result of people getting to be themselves. This includes the associates and the residents. You know, we have 300 associates to go with those 400 residents I described. We're a community of 700 people who bring the family and the community to this world and yet are in it together. You know, we shared some of the accomplishments earlier with respect to the union uh, renouncing their representation, OSHA going from challenging us to recognizing us as a role model. And remember, you know, all of this happened up against that plaintive cry of just five years ago where residents said, can you fix this? Yeah. It's really hard to put an, a number or a, a, a words to the feeling that's different there. But that's really what this is about. There is a feeling that's different when you walk into the organization. And people have told us, wow, I just, I get such a good feeling when I'm in your building. And that's, that's something that can't be measured but is definitely a success. As far as the challenges, boy, it's hard to stay patient and it's really hard to help people along because everyone's going to move through this at their own pace and it really does take discipline to let things develop rather than trying to force them to occur and Jim will tell you he it can be a very impatient person and so we had lots of conversations about we just need to give people time there you know to come along it it's a lot to absorb we we really put a lot out there and it's, it's a lot to take on we really just did have to force ourselves to be patient and not try to force it and what Diana just said is if someone in my shoes needs someone who will tell them the truth <laughs> When you're going too fast, when you're expecting too much, when you're being unreasonable, someone has to be able to look you in the eye and you have to be ready to accept it, as we talked about earlier. I wonder if we could talk about unexpected things. What would you do differently if you had to start over with this? Is there any, anything that uh, didn't come out quite the way you expected or wanted? I think it does go back to some of the patience and required discipline. Um, we cannot overemphasize the importance of building connections. Um, in some respects, I wish we would have had more time or um, 
spent more time helping people go out and practice the behaviors that we were expecting of them. Um, we were very clear about defining. I mean, we put down on paper, these are the leadership behaviors. This is what it looks like. But I think we could have done more time or spent more time helping to coach people through that on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, it, it would have created better relationships amongst the leadership team who are going through this together. It would have created better relationships for them with their teams as they practice this new change. I also think we could have done a little bit better job of creating a system for rewarding the desired behaviors. We did spend some time on that. Kat did a, a wonderful little thing where she would write on uh, people's paychecks, um, recognizing if they, they handled themselves well in a particular situation. There were a lot of little things like that going on, but I think we also could have been a little more intentional about rewarding the right behaviors in the moment. Great. Great. If each of you could leave our audience with one key thought that they could take away, an orientation or an example that would get to the heart of what you've done there in case they want to try and replicate this themselves, what would you say to them? I'm going to start with the, the impression that oftentimes comes up when culture is discussed that this is all soft stuff, this is a feel-good effort, <laughs> this is really uncomfortable. This is a business investment in the betterment of the lives you affect and the organization you lead. Absolutely. That juxtaposition is essential. You are affecting lives. We mentioned the 700 that are direct. Those lives are impacted every day. How we do that is everything. We have to accept that responsibility and take it very seriously. And let me tell you, the response that comes back in exchange for that is something that really is exciting to be a part of and you see the organization move forward as a result. I would say embrace change. Um, I've often said the one thing you can consistently depend upon is change. <laughs> so I was highly skeptical that we were going to improve the culture if it was really possible, but I allowed myself to imagine a change. And at the time we were perfectly designed for the poor results that we were getting. So taking that inward focus means that I had to be open to changing myself, and it really did then follow that the leadership team needed to embrace change, so embracing change. And so following up on that, I would say my key takeaway is don't judge people as you're going through this. You know, Kat has self-proclaimed that she was skeptical <laughs> about all of this, and now she's one of our champions, right? It wouldn't have done us any good to judge Cat's, Cat's ability based on her skepticism. She is one of the champions of this, like I said. So you can't judge people for not getting on board right away or for not getting it right away. You really, there's that patience thing again. You really have to be patient with people and give them the space and the trust to move through this with you because they're going to do it at their own pace and you really have to give them the time and the support to do that. And, the, and these people that I'm sitting with here today that you're hearing today were there with us and I, if you can do anything, find those people in your organization that you can place leadership in the hands of capable and talented people who bring the right skills and the right compassion and relationship. And your job will be joyous and very, very successful. Great. Thanks to Jim, Kat, and Diana for speaking with Leading Age. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for listening to another Leading Age Workforce Innovators podcast. 
You can learn more about our guest program on the Leading Age Center for Workforce Solutions website. I'm Gene Mitchell. Our producer is Charlie Visconage, and the Center for Workforce Solutions is led by Susan Hildebrand. You can listen to more Leading Age podcasts on our website, and you can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please give us a listen.